Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then move my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes, baby. In a Mississippi minute. That's right. Greenville, yes, our Greenville. Not sure it's really in the water or not. Or the devil just decided it would be a good place to tempt a youngster to make a go at the music business. Today's guest on In a Mississippi Minute is yet another testament of someone from this historical hotspot, this fertile land, for eventually making the world his stage. From American Bandstand, The Mike Douglas Show, having records sell over three million in a single bound, he was and still is one of the great ones. He's going to be back home being honored and given the Lifetime Achievement Award by Greenville Honors' His own. Spending the week visiting and doing his new book signing tonight and play some tunes, I hope, at the Butcher Shop Mercantile in our downtown. Really pumped to finally have a conversation with him right now. So what are we waiting for? Say hey, hey to the wonderfully talented hit singer-songwriter, Bruce Blackman. Hey, hey, Bruce. Hello, Steve. <laughs> are you in Georgia or are you in, you, home, you in Mississippi yet? Where are we? No, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, up here with all the Yankees. That's all right. That's all right. I got a sister up there that that lives there, and her kids were all born there, and and uh, we get to frequent uh, a visit every every once in a while. I know that that sounded uh, a little bit uh, not quite right, but you know what I mean. Hey, Bruce. (laughs) Bruce, talk to me first about. I want to know what made you move to Atlanta because just sort of knowing some of your friends and and reading about you, uh, getting prepared for for this Mississippi minute with you. Uh, you you eventually found Atlanta, uh, sort of like sort of figured things out a lot sooner than a lot of other people in our field, uh, or in the film business uh, as well. So, what got you to Atlanta? Well, uh, when I was playing with the Turnsey's children, uh, we had met this uh, disc jockey. Uh, we were playing in Birmingham, Alabama at the time. He told me if if uh, you know if we ever came to Atlanta to give him give him a call. And he had to help us out. Well, he was a top uh, DJ on WQXI, which was the top 40 station here, the big station. So when I left the children, we thought, well, that's the only place where we have a contact that we can get to. Uh, so we came to Atlanta. Well, about a week later, this disc jockey died from an overdose. And we were in Atlanta, and he, he, that was the only person we knew. That was it. <laughs> and so we ended up in Atlanta broke. I uh, wanted to go back out to L.A., but there, there was just no way to do it. So uh, 
we sat here and it took me uh, quite a while to get any contacts going. We're talking to yeah. Bruce Blackman. Bruce, take me back to growing up in the Delta, uh, the music scene. I was just always enamored with music, and I went to the uh, Armory one time to a dance, and uh, the Phantoms were playing. And, and the Phantoms were big heroes of mine. And Dee Percy was a guy playing piano, and he had a Wurlitzer Electric. So a week later, I went down to Hewitt Silk, Silk uh, Music Store down on Washington Avenue in Greenville, and they had an old beat-up Wurlitzer in there from the 50s. Hmm. They sold it to me for $15. Well, I get home, I turned it on, it had a buzz coming out of the speaker that was that was louder than the notes. <laughs> a guy named David Baskin told me he could fix it. For $3. I remember David Baskin, <laughs> <laughs> and he did. He fixed it. Well, I was just about tenth grade, I guess. I was out during lunch at, at Greenville High School, and I heard. I thought it was a radio. It was Gene Pitney singing "Town Without Pity." So I walked over there. I was over out by the track, and there was a guy named Johnny Walker. And he was singing that song, and it wasn't the radio. I went, wow, how can anybody be that good? And he told me he was putting a group together, called, and he was going to call it the Lancers. And I went, the Lancers, man, that's crazy. What is this, some kind of King Arthur stuff? I said, that ain't cool. You know, the, the bands that I admired were Joe Frank and the Knights from Leland, Tommy Burke and the Counts from uh, uh, Memphis, Tim Whitsett and the Imperials from... Jackson, and I thought, you know, you got to have a cool name like that, and I came up with the name J.W. and the Knockouts. <laughs> and uh, Johnny uh, overrode me, and, and uh, he kept it the Lancers, and I told him I had a world to piano, so he invited me over to his house. We started playing and everything, put a band together. The only place I ever played with them was at Al Supper Club. I remember the first time I played there, we played 10 sets on a Friday and Saturday, <laughs> and, and I made $3.50. <laughs> And I was literally in shock. I, I had no idea. You I don't want you paid. to even do the math on that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's painful. Well, I couldn't believe you got paid for doing something that was just fun. You know, I was going, wow. So it wasn't long after that. I was with the Lancers for about, I don't know, maybe six months. A guy named Charlie Ross called. Oh, yeah. And he was with the Phantoms, and they were like my heroes. And he said, hey, Bruce, well, we heard you uh, playing out at Owls with the Lancers, and you did that piano solo and she's not there you know that zombie song with no one told me about her mm -hmm. that oh yeah and uh i said yeah and he said you want to join the phantoms and i went uh yeah <laughs> he says okay well, we're playing at the leland teen center friday night you'll be there at seven o'clock set up your equipment no rehearsal no nothing you know yeah we played that night and at the end of it i made 35 dollars Oh, I'm yeah. going, whoa, 30. At the time, I was working at the levy board, making $45 for working 48 hours a week, <laughs> doing the nastiest work you can possibly imagine. The light goes off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I went, wow, this is for me, you know. And So that's really, uh, and then when we uh, formed Eternity's Children, that was basically, uh, I was at Delta State College Summer School, and this guy, I'm walking down the sidewalk, and this guy said, you Bruce Blackman? I said, yeah. He said, I'm Roy Whitaker, and I want to form a band. I got a real good name, Eternity's Children. And I said, oh, no, man, I'm already in band, good band, The Phantoms. He said, I got a voice of the theater PA system, and, boy, I froze in my tracks. <laughs> you know, because that, that was as top as it gets at the time. And so we ended up putting together the children, and I talked Charlie Ross yeah. uh, out of The Phantoms to join, and then I got Johnny Walker out of the 
Lancers to join, and, and that's where we became Eternity's Children at that point. Wow, I love But there were just that. so many bands, so many. I was just enamored. Uh, I, I, I want to thank one guy, one band was called Sid Caesar, something like that. I remember Hadley Hawkins, and those were great, great musicians around. It was just, you know, I, I'm surprised all of them didn't become as famous as Elvis Presley. <laughs> Take me back to when it started to really roll for you guys, and how long did it take uh, before you ended up on American Bandstand? You know, we had some success with the children, but what killed the children was the, these crooked managers we had. We, we, we lived like refugees, and we made yeah. $50 a week. And we were a major draw around New Orleans, Baton Rouge, you know, Louisiana, and the Gulf Coast. Uh, but uh, when I came to Atlanta, this guy had joined Bo, got Bo Wagner, the guy who played Marimba Vibes with us. Mm-hmm. When I left the children, they hired Bo Wagner. And Bo joined the band because he liked the songs they were recording. When he found out that I was the one that wrote them, he left the children. And he was on tour with uh, uh, Liberace. Wow. <laughs> you can believe that. Wow. He was Liberace's music director. <laughs> so I get a call. I have no idea how it found me. You know, this is way pre-internet, but... I get a call from him, and he invited me and Peggy to a Liberace concert. And, you know, we wouldn't want to go see that, but we went, what the heck? He talked to me about, uh, he wanted to talk to me about Eternity's Children. So we go to the Liberace show, and afterwards he talked about uh, uh, putting a band together. So we did, and he knew, Bo had a lot of contacts, and he knew, he knew Gary Paxton real well, and Gary Paxton had moved from L.A. to Nashville. Uh, Gary did, I think Gary did the, uh, those association songs, Along Comes Mary, Cherish, mm-hmm. stuff like that. He was, he was pretty big dust. We immediately got a record deal with RCA. So uh, we go to Nashville, and we, we cut an album in one day, and RCA informed us that our name at that time was Mississippi. That was the name we were playing under. <laughs> and this was like 1970 or something like that. And uh, anyway, RCA informed us that they were signing a group out of Australia who already had the name Mississippi. That makes no sense. So we had, yeah, I know. We uh, so we had to change our name and came up came up with the name Starbuck on the spot. Wow! And then uh, that night we went out to a Shoney's with some RCA execs, and we had this uh, bass player um, who was nuts, you know, so we put that band together by placing ads in a local hippie newspaper, you know, normally when you form a band, it's, it's, you know, guys that grew up together, there's a common bond in the same neighborhood, practice in the garage, et cetera. And you know, each other, but we had put a, a group together of complete strangers and this bass player was nuts. And he acted out something awful at that, uh, meeting we had with them and, uh, they dropped us. And uh, so then it, we went through several groups and everything, and, and uh, I finally, uh, just alone, I wasn't even in a group, I, I did a demo of two songs called Rock, one was Rock and Roll Rock, and the other was Moonlight Feels Right. And uh, so it took, from the time we came to Atlanta, it was seven years before uh, Moonlight Feels Right. Yeah, wow. Even though I'd had the song for several years. We're talking to Bruce Blackman, the maestro behind it all, Starbuck and beyond here in the Mississippi Minute. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. 
some luck in my direction. I caught it in my hands today. Talking to Bruce Blackman in the Mississippi Minute. Uh, just uh, the the feeling of of uh, moonlight feels right, and you still record the tape. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, I just I prefer that analog uh, sound. Uh, you know, it's like the difference when you see a movie that was 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 done straight to video, as opposed to a move a, a movie that was filmed, and, and there's. There's a difference. Video is uh, straight to video is so stark. Uh, so I record to tape. Uh, I have a 16 track Atari, and then for editing, we we dump it into Pro Tools. And the reason I do that, what I like about that is, you know, in the old days we'd record a song and get to the end and go, Kylie, we should have done that that chorus one more time or whatever. <laughs> well, you had to go and cut the whole thing again, start over. And any recording is just that moment. Right. You know, if either one of us had to go back and cut any of our songs, if you had to cut Waiting for Joe again right now, there's no way possible you can make it sound exactly like the original. Well, the funny thing is you bring on Waiting on Joe. You know, I appreciate you even bringing that up. But, but the deal is I recorded that upstairs in my studio originally that got me my deal on a – it was on tape. So uh, yeah. there, there may be a magic to that. I didn't stick with it. Maybe I should have. There you go. <laughs> but no, I loved well, it, and uh, and I had a little Fostec, you know, and uh, I yeah. still have it. And I actually sent it off to them, and they because it was cracked and banged up because I had it when I was a kid, and they sent it back, and then uh, uh, they just turned it. They just totally revitalized it, and it looks brand new. It just sits in here like now as a souvenir or as a memory, you know, a good memory. And uh, I just I just love that. We went up re-recording it. Uh, which was fine because me on piano was not like you on piano. And I ended up having, ironically enough, and you bring up Australia and Mississippi, the band that played with me on my record, they were all from Tasmania, Australia, living in a band house, basically, with my producer, Rafe Van Hoy, who was married to the lead singer and songwriter. And Rafe, you know, Rafe wrote, uh, uh, oh my gosh, so many so many monsters like so what's the glory in living doesn't anybody ever stay together anymore you know what's yeah. before and just brilliant songwriter and but believe it or not there's that australia mississippi connection right there it's crazy actually when you wrote when you wrote uh moonlight feels right and you recorded it did you have a feeling uh not really until my wife heard it she uh she heard i did my little demo on a four-track t-act and uh, she heard it. She she said, "Oh, Bruce, that's the best thing you've ever written. It's going to sell a million." <laughs> she was wrong by three. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and she was happy about that. <laughs> yeah, from three dollars to three million. R, you know, <laughs> if she doesn't like something, she'll flat down. She'll say so. You know. Yeah, yeah. When yeah. I when I originally wrote it, I was we were in such bad shape. I had been in an accident, cut the middle finger off of my uh, right hand. And I wrote "Moonlight Feels Right" with my left hand. Wow. Just going da, da 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 like that, and I was writing. Uh, I've got to find myself a new direction. I need, you know, it was all about oh, yeah. the, the shape we were in. And basically, no, 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 no. No, no, you you can't. You got to do something different now. This is so up. Wow. So, uh, that, what a song. The lyrics like that. What an incredible song. I'm gonna tell you something. So when we go on road trips, I love it with my baby girl, but we'll crank uh, America's Ventura Highway, and then we'll then we'll get to your song. And uh, it just—I don't know what it does about a road trip, but the feeling. Uh, I mean, it's one of the greatest songs of all time. It really is. And were you were you 
when you were writing songs, you know, I struggled personally with, there were two things. One, I loved the backdrop of my Delta and it was so important, but I wanted to have hits. So <clears throat> I finally got to the point where I was thinking about other things, but it was always there. But once I'd try to forget it, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, just trying to be commercial and have something so they would have a reason to go listen to my songs about the Delta. I'd run into a songwriters that co-wrote with me and they would want to write a song about the Delta. So I could never get away from it. And it ended no. up being a blessing. But when you wrote that song particularly, were you or did you ever have the struggle that I did about about leaving a little bit of the Delta behind? Heck you know? no, man. That song, you know, when I say... Uh, uh, that song is actually a true story. I just changed the location is what I did, but it had to do with uh, when I asked uh, Peggy out. It was the third time I asked her out before she said yes. That's when she, you winked and gave me your okay. <laughs> and then what we did is I had an MG, an old beat-up MG uh, convertible, and we went out to a lake right outside, right between Moorhead and, Miss, and Indianola. Hmm. And we dropped the top, and we w looked at the moon reflecting off of the water. But I simply changed the location to, instead of, uh, you know, drop the top out of Mississippi Lake, <laughs> drop the top yeah. of Chesapeake Bay. Wow. You know, I, I just gave it a, a different location. But that, that whole song is Mississippi. Southern Bells of Hell at Night say you came to Baltimore from Ole Miss. Yeah. You know, come on. Give me <laughs> I love it. You Look, can't do it. Listen, no, no, you can't do it. And I love that. And I, I love the fact that I realized that like Wade Known Joe was all about that. So, and you know what's yeah. funny? I didn't even know it was a song. And I and my producer, I just one night played it for him because it had been in my drawer for a while. I didn't want anybody to hear it, and especially the piano and all that. I was thinking like nobody's. What what am I doing? And then when he heard it, he and he said Rafe Rafe played it, and I said I was like I going like, well, you want to you want to run me out of town now? And he goes, no, that's I've been waiting on you to do that. And I said what? Like it was so personal, you know, and it was. I don't know, man. It was awesome, and it was a lesson for me because I needed that. Yeah. I was trying to. Not, yeah. I wasn't trying to run from it, but I was trying to. I wanted to. My shows have always been about home, and I knew that I could do that. And my records have always turned to the Delta and come home, but I wasn't sure that I could mix the two to make it work. And I guess time eventually. Uh, you put enough time in, you figure it out. We're talking to Bruce Blackman. Talk about what's going on. Greenville's honoring you. I love it. They need to. Should have a long time ago, and uh, you got a book out, and you're going to be with your old buddy Bill Boykin. So I want to know how you know Bill. Y'all grow up together, and then uh, also, you know, his, that venue is where we're putting our. We started a Mockingbird music series, and it's been selling out like two months in advance. And when he built that place, I went, "Oh baby!" Uh, so he built a <laughs> he he built an expensive stage, way more than he wanted to spend, and all that. But the vibe is awesome. So I'm looking forward to cool. to seeing you, but. Uh, uh, so what? What's the? Tell me about the book. Well, um, I wasn't really intending to, to write a book. Uh, uh, I just would on my Facebook page. I just put up music, you know, videos, song lyrics, stuff like that. Started running out of stuff, you know, and <laughs> so just to amuse myself, I started writing little stories. A lot of stuff about the Delta and stuff like that. I started getting some juice, and it got up to where, you know, sometimes a thousand people would like something. So right in the middle of that, I get a call from a publisher. <laughs> Verve, you know, and I'd been reading, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of authors, and they've always told me about, you know, how it's impossible to get a book deal, you know, 
they'll wait like two years to respond to you. And if they don't respond, it means they didn't like it. You never know it. Hmm. Anyway, I get a call from the publisher, and they asked me if I'd ever thought about writing a book. I said, well, yeah, I thought about it, but I hadn't done it. They were talking. To, they started talking about all the stories I'd put on Facebook and everything. So I, I uh, pulled them all out and uh, ran a word count. It was like 25,000 words. And they said, well, man, you're, all, you're already there. I mean, we only want around 50,000 words for a book because of page count. So I just took those stories and, and uh, uh, expanded them because they were rather short on uh, Facebook. And then added uh, uh, all the stuff about Starbucks and music and everything. The first half of the book is all about the Mississippi Delta. Wow. 100%. What's that, the name of it? That's all it is. The Road to Moonlight Feels Right. Oh, yeah. That's what it needs to be. And it's just really all the stuff we've been talking about right here. All the, wow. As a matter of fact, my last single was uh, Is That Your Yacht? Was, uh, well, it was last year. Made the number nine on the adult contemporary chart. And that right. song was about... Uh, when I was a kid, I'd go down to the yacht club in Greenville and look at the yachts. Now, now, really, they were really what you would call cabin cruisers, but they were yachts to me. And I'd watch people partying on those yachts. And, and I wished I could be at the party on the yacht, but I never got to be on one. But that's exactly what that song was about, about a kid. kid of course, once again, I changed the location to Monaco instead of the Yacht Club in Greenville. But it's about the Yacht Club in Greenville. Yeah, I love it. I love that. I'm talking to Bruce Blackman. We're the birthplace of American music, and you know that better than any. So you get to play DJ. Would you like to hear a little Albert King or Sam Cooke into the break? Sam Cooke. That was quick. We're with Bruce Blackman, the magic man. Moonlight feels right. I'm feeling pretty good right now. You're in the Mississippi Minute. Hey team, are you or do you know an aspiring songwriter or artist that needs coaching and direction on how to navigate the music business? Do you have a corporate event, festival, or fundraiser that needs entertainment or event consulting? Let All Access Azar bring your vision to life and help you avoid the mistakes that can steer success off course. With access to my A to Z wealth of knowledge, expertise, and contacts in the entertainment business, my team and I are ready to help you help assess what your goals are and identify the steps to get there. I'll bring many years of expertise and network resources to help facilitate the success of your brand. To learn more about the wide range of services we offer, visit our website, aaazar.com. That's aaazar.com. Fill out the form that fits your needs, and we'll get back to you. Thanks a lot. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, I caught a little I'm Steve Azar. I'm with the fabulously talented big old hit songwriting recording artist Bruce, Bruce, Bruce Blackman, the bruiser. Anyway, <laughs> not quite. So, when you finally started having success and hits, all your pals that you knew were so talented from here, 
it was cool, right? They, they were they excited for you, or were they uh, uh, envious, or do you can you can you look back at your friends and and say that man, they were really excited for me? I, I can, you know, we were all <laughs> so close, even though we were in different bands and stuff like that. But everybody knew everybody, and there was no uh, no envy or anything. I mean, I, I knew good and well. It's all about in the right place at the right time and the stars are lined up and the moon's looking exactly right and all of that yeah. stuff. And I mean, there's plenty of people that, that, that should have gotten there and just for whatever reason, you know, I, I just think it all boils down to songwriting. You know, uh, the, that's why, you know, you had American Idol for 18 years, The Voice, all these singing shows and just a mere handful of them have gotten hits. Right. And the reason why is it just ain't that many hits. A hit song is a magic song, and nobody knows what that is. Nobody knows. Yeah. So if you don't have the song, I don't care how good you are, you got to have that song. That's 90% of the game. You're 100% correct there. And I've been blessed to sit in rooms in the whole Nashville scene with pals trying to write hits and finally doing it, and you just sort of knew it. I mean, you were like, you know, they didn't know it. It's funny that your wife had to tell you, Bruce, that's the best thing you ever wrote. Yeah, when you're when you're when you're doing it yourself, you don't exactly know. But when your pals who are doing it go, "What the heck is that?" I remember busting in the room with some of my co-writer friends. I remember walking in and going like, "What is that?" And the dang thing ended up going number one. And it was like, you know, it was. Now they were getting on a roll, so I so I had a little. I hedged my bet there because they were starting to have hits. But you just knew it. You know, and uh, they would go, really? Yeah. they go, really? It feels like pretty good. But, they, you know, they were in the middle of it, and they probably couldn't see past that. We're talking to Bruce Black. Yeah. It all starts with the song, man. The bottom line is you're right. If you don't have that foundation, then you can't go make a great record on a good song. You can make a, you can make a great record on a great song. You got to have that. You got to have right. That's right. That's right. And the production is nothing more than the framework. That's, that's all it is. That's exactly right. No matter how you build it, you can't really mess it up if you got that. Hey, Bruce, so tell me about meeting your bride. You know, where along the way did you do that? And I also want to talk to you about what your folks did. Okay. Um, well, uh, I married Peggy Denman. Uh, I was uh, at Delta State Summer School. I was in a poker game. There were some guys there. Uh, I won like 20 bucks, which is big money, you know. And I got up to leave, and there was a clipping out of the uh, Delta Democrat Times of the girls in the beauty pageant. There was like six of them. The one on the left, I just stopped dead in my tracks. And I went, my God, how can any woman be that beautiful? There was a long, white, floor-length gown, and it was Peggy Demons. So I asked the guy there, I said, who is that? And he said, that's Peggy Demons. I said, where does she go to school? He told me. She was at... Uh, at the time, it's called Mississippi Delta Junior College. He said, well, she's dating a big-time football player from Ole Miss. I went, well, we'll see. <laughs> so I went and registered at Mississippi Delta we'll Junior see. College I for the it. specific purpose to see if I could meet this girl. Come on. I did. No lie. And uh, so I go there and get registered and everything, and I asked her out twice. She turned me down the first two times, and I mean – definitively <laughs> no maneuvering at all and then the third time i asked her out uh, she said yes hmm. and then uh, from then on we were joined at the hips wow that's the way it happened that's what moonlight feels right was about isn't it funny isn't it amazing and how long did it take you to write the song after you fell in love how many years hey you, you're gonna like this i get asked that a lot i said well 
it took me about 10 minutes to write it and 10 years to learn how. Yeah. So it took a minute. I love that. It did. Well, that's, that's what happens. You're in the caught up in the middle of all the emotion and, and then you, it all of a sudden it just gives it to you. Like, Oh, by the way, this is what, uh, you've been living and this is the gift that you were given. And now you get to repeat it in a song. I, I love that. I love that's talk. That's, that's going the distance for your woman right there. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I do this. I yeah. did the same thing, man. I, you know, I went to, I, you know, Fayetteville, Arkansas and, and, uh, the beauty of our business of staying together for so long and uh, enduring uh, a business like ours with the, with the same woman is the coolest thing in the world. It's the, it's the ultimate. Yes, it is. We're talking to Bruce Blackman. We're having a great conversation. Bruce, I'm going to try to make it tonight. I'm excited about you coming. Uh, is Peggy coming with you? No, she won't be able to make it. All right. She's going to stay in Georgia. That's all right. I don't blame her. Yeah. It's all right. But we're going we're gonna <laughs> to really be looking forward to seeing you. Uh, Bruce, uh, talk to me about talk to me about Mrs. Bluebird, the inspiration behind that great song. Oh, that's fun. I was uh, I guess I was about nineteen when I wrote that, and um, what I had in my mind, I had this little melody that I liked, da 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 da, mm-hmm. da, da, da little hook melody, and I really liked it. But every time I tried to put words to it, it was too many syllables. You know, I love you. Oh, yes, I do. I love her. <laughs> I couldn't do it. And it sounded silly to me, you know. Right. And I didn't want, so I started singing la, 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 la. And I, did, I didn't want to do that because there was a lot of songs at the time that had ooh, la, 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 ooh, la in it. So I came up with the unique word of pa. Hmm. So I did pa, 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 pa. That's it. I wasn't really lyrically developed then. I was trying to write a song about the bluebird of happiness, but in fact, it's a real happy song, but it's talking about death. Yeah. In a sense, it doesn't make any sense. It was just a strong melody. and When it came out, it did really well in the southeast, especially out of New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and that area, but it just it didn't crack out of that area, which is why it's mid-charged. But that was my first... Uh, song that made the top 100 but before that we had a, a, a song that i wrote called rumors that came out on a&m and it only went to like number one seven it went to number 117 bubbling under the hot 100 <laughs> that's so funny to hear you talk about that you know the only song i ever had that wasn't a pick hit in billboard was moonlight feels right Wow, I love it when they miss. All the others were pick hits. <laughs> wow. Well, you got to have all the. First of all, you got to have that big old machine behind you. You know that, and oh, and yeah, they got to yeah, go yeah. do their job. I mean, it's once you've got yeah. the song and all that, and and it's just you know after being around <clears throat> it so much, uh, man. I the the one thing I don't miss is Monday mornings looking at the charts because it was exhausting. Yeah. You know, like I was like, yeah. oh my gosh. Now I love making records, man, and putting them out and just uh and not having to to know that the that we got a bullet or not, you know? <laughs> oh yeah, who hadn't lived that. You know, that's why I always say the young musician, I say, here's one thing you need to learn right now. When the art part ends, the hard part begins. Boy, you aren't lying. Man and you got Yeah, that- I remember uh, Everybody be dancing was, yeah. was out. Loved it, and it was number thirty-eight with a bullet. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm opening the Billboard the following week, and boom, we stayed thirty-eight with no bullet. <laughs> and the reason why is a record company had signed David Soul, 
He had this song called "Don't Give Up yeah. On Us, Baby." Yeah, because he was on TV. He had, you know, everybody's yeah. watching them, watching primetime Starsky and Hutch, right? That's right. So, so at the time, you had those stations were designated P one, P two, and P three. Yeah. We needed one more P one station to keep our bullet move up. Yeah. And the station in San Diego, California, called Private Stock said, "Look, we can either add the Starbuck record or the David Soul record." Hmm. Private Stock told them to add David Soul. Put. There you That's go. It. You know, it's, it. It, my 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 version of that was Houston, Texas. For some reason, uh, I was told uh, we were sitting at number two, and I was told uh, that they didn't like the record, and they had two stations that were P one, obviously top ten market. And for our listeners out there, powerful is electoral votes. So one play there is like seven in Jackson. As best way to explain it. So you needed yep. them. You had to have them. You couldn't get the number one without Houston, Texas, with, especially with two, right. two stations. And I was told they didn't like the record. Well, I said, I want to go see them. And they said, no, 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 not a good idea. Well, it turned out right after it happened when Waiting on Joe was coming, we got stuck at two. I, I decided to go see them. Uh, my brother and I and my percussionist still with me, my buddy Jason. And so my brother Joe and Jason, we went there. And the first thing they say is, hey, we got to go because we, we don't have to be us till Monday. And I said, you can't say that. You didn't play the record. That hurt. And I had to hold Jason back. He was about to go. And so they ended up being the first station both to add Waiting on Joe in the country two weeks early. And the reason they never played Monday was because Shania Twain had promised them a concert. And a free one, and she didn't. They, it, she bailed on it, or whatever happened. The label probably had promised it. Probably she and I probably never knew about it. And all of a sudden, that was the reason. And they told me, and I was like, "You've got to be kidding me!" Because you celebrate. Have you ever celebrated a number two song? There ain't no celebration. There's nothing. It's like March Madness <laughs> and losing in the championship game. All you do is cry and go home. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so anyway, but it's interesting that, you know, you got to have everybody and there's you and I both live the same scenario. Well, there you go. It's all right. It doesn't hurt at all anymore. But uh, for a minute. Yeah. That's, listen, man, I'm telling you, I invented that T-shirt. I, <laughs> I love it. I love it. We're talking to Bruce Blackman, the maestro behind it all. Starbuck and beyond here in the Mississippi Minute. It's easier than ever to hear Super Talk anywhere. Now you can get Super Talk Mississippi on Amazon Alexa devices. Just go to supertalk.fm slash Alexa to find out more. For news, politics, sports, and the good things happening in Mississippi, the conversation starts here. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Talking to Bruce Blackman, you're in the Mississippi Minute. Well, Bruce, so tell me what else you're working on, or what are you going to make another record soon, or do, does it just happen and you look back and go, "Oh, I've got enough material to make a record." Oh Lord, I got enough to make fifty. I've got like a thousand songs sitting here. I've been going back to. I got tapes going back to the '60s. Wow. And it, through every format, I got them. You know, I got them on reel to reel, and then I got them on uh, cassette tape, and then the uh, vinyl, CD, you name it. Uh, uh, so I'm, I, 
I was going back through that. I was almost finished with the new album, but about three weeks ago, my studio caught on fire. And so that's going to delay me. I won't be able to get a release out this year. Uh, How'd your I may studio? try to. I'm sorry. How did it catch pardon? on fire? How did it catch on fire? Lightning. Lightning hit it. Wow. The 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 side the side where the equipment was is downstairs. This is my outside my home studio. I have another studio where I, I record at home. Then I take my tapes over there and we put it. You know, just doing the editing in the studio. And sometimes I bring in another musician to add a track or two. But right. none of the equipment was hurt. It's all good. Oh, that's good. Um, good, good. However, uh, that studio was developed over thirty years. Yeah, and it, it, you don't just. You know, okay, let's rebuild everything and stick it in here and pop, 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 me ready to go. I right. mean, it'll, it'll be a, a year. I'm going to try. I have a song called Soft Dog that my Peggy's been on me for a long time to get that one done, and I listen to her. So I may try to get that as, out as a single this year if I can uh, uh, get it done. She's batting a thousand. I think you ought to start listening. <laughs> yeah, I'm listening. We'll, we'll get it done. It'll, it'll be out. I just don't know when. You know, lightning's been strike, striking you for a long time, so it, you shouldn't feel like it's a it's something not a novelty all of a sudden. You've been making. No. You know, we were talking about Nashville earlier, and I, I went up to Nashville some years ago. Uh, I know knew Tom Long. I don't know if you knew him. He was a executive vice president with ASCAP. He wanted me to come up there and write with some guys. You know, so I had three writing sessions with these guys, and I kept thinking, "What am I doing here? I, I don't remember their names, but." I mean, these guys have written monster hits, dozens of them. You know, one guy there had written uh, one of my favorite songs is uh, Paint Me a Birmingham. Oh, yeah. And I went, golly, how can anybody write that song? Anyway, I, I went out to a county queue and used all the big players. I know all I those boys, a, Paul, and all those guys. Man, I've yeah. spent a lot of time with those guys. Yeah, yeah. Great studio. And I recorded um, a song called Doing Nothing. So Tom Long walked in, and right when we finished it, one of the guys said, man, George Strait's going to go crazy over this. And I said, who is George Strait? <laughs> <laughs> and they laid down on the floor and laughed, and they had tears coming out of their eyes. Wow. Uh, but they got it to George, got the song to George Strait, and uh, he passed on it because he said it was too racy. I went, yeah. huh? huh? It has a line in there that says, a long, tall senorita making a margarita just for me. Ooh-wee. And that was too racy. That, went, Shock, uh, that shocks me a little bit because uh, I'm not sure about that. we were label mates. We were label mates for a while, and uh, and um, I, I'm shocked that he would see that as racy. That sounds just like a great line to me, and it's truth. All it is is a lot of truth. <laughs> yeah, that, that, you know, you got me. Wow, that's yeah, crazy. Anyway, I, do. I love it. It is what it is. Well, brother, I can't wait to see you tonight, and I appreciate all you've meant to. Uh, influence and a guy like me and so many and the impact uh, you, that you've left on our delta and continue to do uh, even even from georgia that ain't a bad thing i you know i'm a spokesperson for georgia blue which is a actually a mississippi based founded restaurant by my boy jason ishi and uh so i see i, I can handle you being in georgia uh, his daughter's name's Georgia, so <laughs> his uh, she goes. That's how he named his chain. He goes, well, I got to figure out the name of this my restaurant chain. And she goes, well, Dad, my name's Georgia, and your favorite color's blue. Enough of it. And I just love that, you know. So anyway, yeah. no, it's going to be great. I, I appreciate everything that you stand for, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting giving you a big hug tonight. And uh, blessings to you and Peggy, and and uh, I'll see you. I'll see you in a little bit. 
Okay, Steve. Looking forward to it, man. A Mississippi Minute? That's how we roll with two Mississippi Delta boys. Had a great time with Bruce Blackman. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. If Alexa's part of your life, you've got one more way to access Super Talk. Super Talk Mississippi is now available on Amazon Alexa devices. Once enabled, just say, Alexa, play Super Talk Mississippi at any time and start listening. It's that easy. Just one more way to stay informed and connected with your state. Learn more at supertalk.fm slash Alexa. Super Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi. Now available on Amazon Alexa devices. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.